Our gospel lesson for today comes from John's gospel, chapter three, beginning at the first verse. Listen for God's word to you this day. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do set apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue our series on the Apostles' Creed that launched in late February. Can we believe how much territory of our faith could be embedded in this very short, pretty easily memorized creed? And today's portion is very short. I believe in the Holy Ghost. It's deceivingly short, really, because there are so many questions about this third person in the Trinity. Unlike God, who has a robust role in Jewish and Christian history, from the one who launched the whole project of the world, the universe, animals, trees, seas, land, and humans, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is vague and effusive. And it is not like Jesus, the second one in the Trinity, who came to walk among us, wipe tears and warn tyrants, he was a bridge to God, God made human. The Holy Spirit, yes, the Holy Ghost, is the unseen mover, the one who sometimes plunges us into the depths. It is a presence, not a person. And there are many expressions of this third person of the Trinity. Is it a Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit? Is it wind? Is it fire, as we see at Pentecost? Is it comfort, breath, unpredictable, infusing? On the one hand, the spirit is a warm bath, and on the other hand, it is a polar plunge, a holy wake-up call. 
We tend to be thinking Christians as Presbyterians. Many of us prefer the rational, the factual, the decent and in order, and thereby we may feel in the dark with our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We're not alone. We may find ourselves as puzzled as the man named Nicodemus. Having heard this scripture read today, we all may realize that we kind of get who Nicodemus is. He's the one who has his walls sagging under the weight of his diplomas. He asks a million questions. He is the sought-after keynote speaker with the roll of the tongue and the politician's hair. He's a natural leader, the spiritually open and curious type. And yes, very rational. There are Nicodemus types in church leadership positions, not only lay people, but clergy. And we may even come face to face with the Nick types in our families and among our closest friends. And Nicodemus may be you and may be me. In the case of the one we just read about in the Bible, he's so interested and curious about this itinerant rabbi who's making waves in the area that he decides to pay a call on Jesus. He wants to get a closer view on what he, where he's coming from, and so it begins at night. They may hear the snapping of twigs and then see a leader of the synagogue coming up the path. And we can imagine that Nicodemus sees Jesus with his disciples and he asks if he can have a private word with him. Anyone observing can see that Nicodemus is uncomfortable approaching this rabbi Jesus. It probably is not a surprise that he comes under the cloak of night. He may not want to tarnish his reputation by an encounter in the light of day. After all, he's a teacher of Israel a scholar, a leader, a theologian, brilliant. And so, as any scholar does, they seek out their, those who are in their intellectual league. And Nicodemus knows the rules of engagement. He heard of Jesus' work and begins by paying him a compliment. Rabbi, I know you're a teacher who has come from God. Yes, there's no way you could do the signs that we've seen or heard about unless you had a direct line. And it's clear that Nicodemus thinks that faith comes from evidence by seeing what has happened and drawing logical conclusions. His engagement is tightly constructed, airtight, as a matter of fact. No spirit, no wind, no gale can penetrate his mental acrobatics. Sure, Nicodemus can appreciate what Jesus does. He can marvel at the miracles. He can see that Jesus heals and casts out demons and turns water into wine. What Nicodemus does not recognize is that the one he is encountering in that moment is going to ask that he throw caution to the wind. And it becomes quickly evident that Nick is so caught in his own landlocked reality that he can't set sail out of it to allow the gift of God's new creation to take hold. Jesus cuts to the chase. 
Though it may look like the works that arise from Jesus come in the alignment of good practice and a dash of God, the stark and stunning truth is that the only path to faith is to be all in. And by that, what Jesus means is that you have to be born anew, again, from above. Everything, he means everything, is reordered, infused with the God genes. Jesus likely looked Nick square in the eye and said, this is about fresh air, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit blowing afresh through your weary bones. And Nicodemus cannot seem to set aside his airtight structures to let it in. He may have even smirked a little or rolled his eyes when he thought Jesus wasn't looking. Really, am I to go back into my mother's womb and be pushed out again? He may have thought that this conversation was a waste of time, but Jesus complicates it further. The way home, the way to God's light and God's joy, God's maternity ward, is through water and the Spirit. Yes, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And even with his vast degrees, his intellectual acumen, all the hours of pouring over those jots and tittles of scripture, Nicodemus is still in the dark. And the last thing we hear in this dialogue with Jesus is Nicodemus muttering, how can this be? He waits and then he actually evaporates from the scene. What holds him back? What holds us back? What holds the church back? Where is the spirit at work in our midst? Well, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit has many expressions, many biblical terms. As a matter of fact, it is expressed through wind and fire. It is the comforter the breath, unpredictable, infusing. And in this passage, the spirit is understood by Jesus to be the wind, the breath of God that blows where it will. This spirit, as Amy Platigan Powell says, is on the loose in the world in surprising and disruptive ways, transcending human understanding and control. No human rules or traditions can contain the spirit like fire. The spirit is powerful and unpredictable, bringing light and warmth to cold and dark places. But what tends to happen is that in times of great transition or times that we can't see forward, we tend to batten down the hatches. We want, like Nicodemus, to make everything predictable, to control the outcome, to see things in literalistic ways and dismiss the rich upending of our assumptions. And in so doing, we stand with Nicodemus, waiting for a breakthrough, but so bound by our own world of our own making that we cannot see what could just be afoot. And this must have been the point at which Jesus looked at Nicodemus in the eye and with every ounce of convicting power leveled the challenge. You've got 
to be born again. Look me in the eye, Jesus may have said. I'm here from God because things are in pretty rough shape in this end of the universe, and I'm here to let you know that you don't have to sneak around in the dark, but you can come to life, yes, life. The generative power of the Spirit swoops in, not because it's so maverick, but because it's so formative. Someone has called the Spirit the wild child of the Godhead. And I can certainly say that our friend Nicodemus struggled to step up to that beat. I don't get a wild child vibe from Mr. Stuffy. And there are certainly times when I wouldn't even be set to march to the beat of that. And yet it's important to turn the mirror around on ourselves because there are many moments, especially this one in our life together as a congregation here at Forth, that we may want to clutch on to any semblance of certainty any absolute, some platitude, or some authority figure that we think will make it all the way we think it should be. Indeed, right now in the life of this community, I realize that we may just default to what is known and familiar and certain and absolute, and at some level that may get us through the next few weeks. But in time, trust me, the probability of God's awakening, wind-swept, astonishing promise will call us with a fresh voice and ask us to be born anew in the Spirit of God. It will arise from the very foundation of this church and take us to places we never imagined. And this may make us habitually restless, to listen in new ways, to be swept away by the most astonishing promise that God can give us, and that is to go with God in the Spirit. Can you imagine what it would be like if each and every one of us would be all in, daring to be a new creation in God, to be born with the Spirit's power, to be born of God's Holy Spirit? Do we affirm our faith in the creed's words, I believe in the Holy Ghost? For some reason, when I was writing this sermon, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came to mind. You may remember the story where four children find their way into a magical land called Narnia, ruled by an oppressive queen, the White Witch, who forces all of Narnia to live in an eternal winter. Well, near the beginning of the book, the children wandering through the woods looking for a friend stumble upon movement in the snow and go closer, wondering what it might be. Whatever it is, says Peter, the eldest boy, it's dodging us. It's something that doesn't want to be seen. It's a kind of animal, says Susan, the eldest girl. And then it appears behind a tree. The animal puts its paw against its mouth, signaling for them to be quiet, and then it disappears again. And the children eventually find themselves taken in by what turns out out to be a talking beaver whose name is, well, Beaver. Beaver tells them many things about Narnia and the White Witch, including telling them about 
Aslan, the lion, Narnia's hope, Aslan. Early on in the book, though we don't learn much about the character of Aslan himself, except what Beaver shares with the children on that cold night, but despite all the evidence to the contrary, Beaver tells them, he says, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. And when he says it, a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you or I do, but the moment Beaver had spoken those words, everybody felt quite different because it had sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something that you don't understand, but in that dream it feels as if something had enormous meaning either a terrifying one that turns the whole thing into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are wishing you could go back to that dream again. It was like that now. As the name Aslan was spoken, each of the children felt something jump inside. My friends, the Holy Spirit is not just a jump. It is a jump start. And when that Spirit of God shows up in all that rails against uncertainty, all that shakes us to the quick, all that asks for our assent, takes hold of us, births us anew, and infuses us with the very power of love, the Spirit is here. Yes, the deep and pervasive power of love bids us welcome, bids our feeble hearts to come home by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that means to be in, all in, all the time. Think of your own life. What has such a grip of possibility on you that it won't let up? What would happen if you allowed yourself to let that wave of such awakening crash over you? And what about this congregation? Are we all in? Is the grip of the Holy Spirit's fire, the wild child spirit, asking us to let go and let God, yes, truly let go and receive such power that we never imagined? I am so convinced that the Spirit is on the move. God is ready to work in our lives, both individually and as this faith community. Do you feel it? Do you see it? Like Jesus' invitation in Nicodemus, there is much, yes, much to come. So get ready. Thanks and glory be to God. Amen.